0: All right, well hey, good morning everybody. My name's Ryan. Thank you Lynn. Thank you Lucas and team and Margie and just for what the Lord's doing here. It's good word, good stuff. Um I want to ask if anyone is here today specifically, do you have a testimony of something good that's happened in or through your house group. Like maybe you're part of a house group now and someone invited you, or maybe you guys went and did, did some missional stuff together and there was an impact, or you were able to invite someone. Has anyone got a story they wanna share from a house group of something that God's done recently? Just his goodness in those? We wanna talk about those things, and if, um, just because it's kind of the, one of the biggest parts of the stuff that we feel like God's calling us to do. So has anyone got a story or a testimony to share? Lynn. There you go. That's easy. You don't have to... Can you hand her the mic? There you go. Yeah, Thanks. I was hoping someone else would get up here. Anyways, I'll tell you super, super fast. My house group is a group of prophetic women. We feel called to start a coffee shop, and we're, we're in the progress. Anyways, Rev 22 women, they had a retreat last weekend, and it was just so amazing. Anyways... There was a woman, there was actually two women, but there was a woman who really kind of started her relationship with Jesus and she got baptized that weekend, super cool. Amen, thank you. That's great because, and one of the reasons that we wanna talk about, because like there's a lot of people, so we even call them house groups, not house church, because there's a, a lot of people in our culture that church is a bad word. It's a church that has connotations that may be painful, may be confusing, And so we want to invite people into spaces where they can connect with God. That's a lot of times in in a more neutral turf. So if that's in your house, a coffee shop, at a local park, or just, you know, somewhere. It's like we want to, these are our prime connecting vehicles that we feel like that the Lord has used throughout the ages to connect people to the bigger body. And what we do in here is great. We want people to come on Sunday. And that's why we always say, hey, if you're new here, fill out one of those cards, We love that, but we also know there's a lot of people who will never step foot in church probably until they step foot in a house group or or until you step foot into their lives and lovingly present the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's why we talk about this a lot. And so we want to shift our thinking to be outward focus, missional focus, because we know Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and in this world we are like him. So if we wanna be like Jesus, we say we, we gotta be like Jesus. Um, so one thing I wanna ask you, I don't often do this for personal plugs, but I'm gonna ask for prayer this week. Personally, my daughter Sophia, you guys have seen Sophia around here. She's 12 year old, little curly head, cute, freckly thing. She's having a heart surgery on Tuesday. So if you guys could pray for Sophia, it's been a big long haul in her life. Little thing's 12 and it's had 20, this will be surgery number 20 for her. She's born with a bunch of challenges on the inside. I know it's hard to tell when you just look at her, but she's, she's got a heart surgery. So if you guys think to pray for her on Tuesday, she'll be having surgery late morning. That's why my family's not here. We're just kind of keeping her a little insulated from a room full of hundreds of people and just kind of to make sure that she can have, have this procedure that she needs. So I'm going to pray. And then we're gonna launch into it. Jesus, I just uh, lift all this stuff to you. Lord, we just ask that you would come today, that you would meet us in a way, Lord, that that locket that uh, Margie was talking about, Lord, that you're in that locket of ours, that the connection with you is, uh, becomes a tangible thing to people in new and fresh ways today, Lord. Pray for my daughter and pray for everyone else in here who might be struggling with an issue, with a sickness, family member, themselves, or just this world's hard, Lord, life's hard. And I pray that you would meet us today in those spaces. In Jesus' name, Father, amen. amen. Well, hey, we're in the last week of our trifecta series. And what we've been talking about is we've been talking about this, really, we've been talking about balance. We've been talking about kind of triads that exist in the kingdom, in the world, in all these ways where the Lord meets us. And one of the things we've talked about is the life of Jesus, that we see this amazing sense of up, this amazing sense of in. And out that Jesus connected with the Father, connected with disciples, did life together, and then lived on mission. He wasn't a lone ranger, okay? And so we look at the life and the rhythms of Jesus. And then we uh, looked at how the early church operated. They operated in the temple, in the churches. They operated in their tribes from house to house. And then they did the task together on this great mission to seek and save the lost. And then we talked about the word, the work, and the ways, and how these things that you can be full of the word and do the works, but if the way of Jesus is missing, that way that's full of gentleness, like humility, invitation, challenge, love, mercy, sometimes um, uh, uh, rebuking at times, like the, if we're missing this way of Jesus, the way he did those things, that a lot of people will never hear the words we preach or the or this word or they'll never uh, receive the works we're trying to do. And then we're and we talk about like a preferred future of what that looks like. And then last week we talked about how to read the Bible. And we read the Bible the same way Jesus lived, the same way we're trying to do church, the same way we're trying to live life. Observation, what's God saying? What's he saying in this word to me? What's he saying first? That we want to have context for the content. What's he saying? What's he doing? And then interpretation, then what does it mean to me? How does it speak to me? What do I do with what I've heard? And then application, that that obedience always has an outward effect. And so Jesus doesn't just want us to read this for the sake of knowledge, or he doesn't just want us to hide it in our hearts, but he also wants us to live in such a way that he came, that says that he came. And so that's where we are. And this week, in our last week, we're going to talk about what the discipling process looks like. Because we can talk a lot about all these things, but if they're, if they're just little triangles that are pithy, then it's more like ethereal, it can be hard to live into it. And so what does it look like to make a disciple or to be a disciple? Uh, Barna Research, uh, George Barna, his company, Barna Research Group, they're a formative research engine that does a lot of things as they pertain to the body of Christ. Like they do a lot of critical research and studying of trends, of issues, of challenges that the church is facing. So if we can show this pie graph when talking about discipleship, what Barna's research found in 2021, that 39% of the church currently of their cross-section of thousands and thousands and thousands of people are not engaged in any form of disciple-making activity. 28% are involved in some sort of a disciple-making community, a la a small group, a house group, a discipleship group. Um, 28% are only being discipled, like just like that's all that they do is like they're discipled, and only 5% of all people surveyed are actually discipling others. So if we look at this, a huge amount of people aren't really involved, don't even know about discipleship. Of those surveyed, um, 56% of Christians um, who, who, who were, I'm sorry, of that 39% that's not engaged, 56% of that 39% said they didn't even know what discipleship is or that that's part of the Christian walk. People didn't even know that's what you're supposed to do. So the reason that we're talking about discipleship so much is because it is the great commission. But really, in the church, as we've looked around, it's the great omission. That Jesus said, go, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said this. We're gonna skip down to slide seven. Real quick, I always like to keep them on their toes and skip around. (laughs) Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, I always like, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, what is the word therefore, therefore, okay? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. So Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That means Jesus is the king. That means he's the final authority. That means he's the final, um, he's the highest rung of the ladder. He's the, you know, head honcho. Whatever you want to say, that he's saying all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's a lot of authority. That's a lot of authority. All of it. He says, it's all been given to me. And so Jesus is saying at this point in time, he's like, hey, in case you didn't get the memo before, when I was the savior, when I was the Hamashiach, when I was the saving one, if you didn't get it before, now I'm the king. So if you didn't listen then, when I was the rabbi, maybe you'll listen now that I'm the king. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And his last words, last words are really important. Therefore, since, since it's been given to me, what the therefore is therefore, since it's been given to me, these words I'm gonna to say to you are really important. They are the highest charge. It's why he came. And he wraps it all up in this little statement. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. If you're lying on your deathbed you're lying on your deathbed and you have the chance to think about it when people you love the most that are closest to you when you're laying there i i bet if you had an opportunity the last words you would say would have more than hey can you pass the oj Come on, Ryan. or something silly like I, i'm guessing we would all want to say something that had impact like know that I love you, know know who you are, take care of your mom, take care, you know, I mean, do this thing, remember why you're here. Like, they would be important. And, And I know Jesus, before he's going to heaven, says this to them, like, hey, these words mean a lot to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always till the very end of the age. So we see Jesus is giving them information, like Jesus has given them lots of information. He's given them lots of information and impartation for them to absorb. So these aren't just people that he just kind of wantonly saw on the street and said, hey, can you do this thing for me? No, these are people that Jesus invested heavily in. And the thing about Jesus is is, is I think that most people don't do, don't do discipleship, not because they're averse to it, but I simply think they don't either know or they don't know how. I think that's why most Christians, most people that come on Sundays aren't averse to the things of the Bible or you wouldn't come, right? Like you're leaning in somewhere. And so I think a lot of people don't share. It's not because they disagree with it. Maybe some people do, but I, I think that's probably a small amount of people. Now, what we may disagree with is what discipleship entails. Because when we look in the Bible, it's just more than just a a Bible study on Wednesday night, right? Or it's more than a scripture in the morning. I mean, it is. Those things are great, but like it's our whole lives given to a cause. But I think most people that they either don't do it because um, they don't know or they don't know how. And I think a lot of, Times some of us lean out because the priority of it's heavy too. And I think too many churches and families give their children, give spiritual children um, a lot of good information, but it's not in a sense that people can package it and take it and go do something with it. And so one of the things that we want to talk about while we talk about things over and over is because... If it's memorable and accessible, then it's transferable. Yeah. So you might say, why are you doing this around these little shapes or these little pithy, like, alliterations? Because if, it, if something's memorable, it's easier to do. Come on. Like, the whole thing of the seven-digit phone number, that was actually, as that was happening, is there was people who, in the psychology field and, and like... Uh, you know, in the kind of biochemistry of brain field realizes that people can memorize things really well, especially numbers in segments of seven. I read that research before as they were talking about, they, they made, they turned phone numbers to seven. There was, was it should be eight digits, five digits, and they realized five digits that eventually there wouldn't be, there, there wouldn't be enough phone numbers, but that there was something about seven digits that people could memorize, and that's why they did it like that. Do you remember the day when you can memorize a seven-digit phone number? when you actually had to memorize phone numbers. But I think a lot of people in a lot of churches will get up and have these great spiritual TED Talks, these great discourses, but there are a lot of information and there's a lot of inspiration, but then we say, go to innovation. Take this 40-minute lecture and go do it. And we realize most people don't operate like that. Most people can't just take this thing that a person who had 5, 10, 20, 50 hours to prepare for something that week, let alone all the years leading up to it, that you can't just distill it, disseminate it into one discourse and people are gonna just grab it and run with it. Most people can't do that. So we've given people lots of information and we've said, go have innovation, go do it. But I think that that whole osmosis thing we're finding doesn't work because a lot of people, almost 40% of people, aren't involved in discipleship at all. And of that, a a good percentage of them don't even know that they're supposed to do it or don't even know how to do it. And I think our culture is sinking on so many levels because people have lacked the critical examples and spaces to imitate those who have, Know how to live the faith out. I mean, if you look at where are most colleges going towards, they're going towards internship. Because anyone ever had that? Anyone graduate from college and then ever had that experience? Like, dude, what? I, nothing I learned is applicable to this job I'm doing. Anyone have that? You're like, what did I spend this money on? Well, you don't say that as much once you take that stuff, that general stuff and then you put it into an internship in the real world where you learn how to be an engineer or you learn how to be a counselor, learn how to be a lawyer or else an appraiser. Anyone wanna be someone's first surgery? Anyone really glad your doctor did a residency? I mean, next time you get ticked about that doctor bill, just realize that part of that's that they're paying off a lot of college, okay? That's part of what it is, but you're glad they're paying off college, hopefully, because they're competent, not only in knowledge, but in practice to give you the care you need. So this space, you can have all the information and all the innovation you want, but imitation is really where the rubber meets the road, and that's the secret sauce of discipleship, is to give people spaces where they can imitate, where they can imitate what the life of Jesus looks like. Because I can talk about being moral all I want, right? Or I can talk about being the, studying the Bible all I want, or talk about being a good dad all I want. But unless you observe that living testimony, because words are great, but you ever been around someone, you're like, oh, that's what it was. That's what being a good cook looks like, or that's what being a good mom looks like, or that's what doing this thing, that's what forgiveness looks like. It's You gotta have it modeled, not just explained. Because you can do a right thing in a wrong way, can't you? Yeah. You can do a right thing in a wrong way, but when we have living examples and imitation, and so Jesus is telling them, he's like, Hey, all authority in heaven has been given to me, therefore go make disciples. He's not telling them to do something that hasn't already been imitated for them. Jesus showed them how to make disciples because he made disciples of them. We talk about this stuff so much, it's so important because... It's the last thing Jesus told the church to do. And it's where he invested most of his time on earth in his public ministry. Those three, three and a half years, Jesus invested most of his time in his disciples. And so it should say to us that discipleship is really important to this guy. Really important. The first thing he did, he came out of the desert and he basically prayed and he called and he prayed, who are the 12? God showed him, like we talked about that Luke 6, 12, through 19, and then he called the 12 to himself. He didn't just start doing the stuff. He called these people to him because he was gonna model it. He was gonna give them information. Then he gave them imitation, and then innovation. Now they're at the place of innovation where he's saying, do what's been done to you. That's why discipleship matters. That's why house groups matter, is because we're not just doing a program here. This is the program. This is the call. This is the purpose of the church, and I know some people been like, "Well, man, you've really de-emphasized Sunday." I'm, i l- listen. Sunday's fine; it's great, but man, I I know a lot of times in my life, my life's looked nothing like what it looks like in here on Sunday. Throughout the history of my life, if I took the span of it, there's a lot of times where I wasn't living it as well as I thought, or not living it near as well as I preach. Like like I preach way better than I uh, than I model, <laughs> which you guys may say, "Whoa, you're a bad model." Then, <laughs> fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Um, but where I've learned most in my life how to do it is that imitation space where I got to watch guys like my friend B.J. Parker, the first guy who ever disciple me. Uh, got to watch B.J. and Bengali. Bengali was a worship leader a long time ago. I got to watch these, these bozos in college, figure out their faith because they were just less bozos than I was, you know? And... Uh, But I got to watch them and I got to ask them questions and I got to watch them model grace and forgiveness. And these college dudes that were hanging out, you know, these booger picking 15 year old kids who were full of testosterone but zero capacity. Like, here's the boy equation, okay? When you have one boy by himself, he's operating on 100% brain power. When you get two boys together, they're operating on 50%. You get three, 33%, four, a quarter. After that, it is just pure testosterone. Like, I'm gonna mack on her, and I'm gonna try to outdo you. I'm gonna jump off the bridge. I'm gonna blow something. There is nothing besides like trying to, oh, you know, like sort of thing. <laughs> but I saw these guys who were able to get past that, my teenage machismo and love me and a group of dudes in the kingdom and show us what it looked like to follow Jesus. Then I look at uh, a couple years later, Young Life leader, Rick Rockwell, Cooper Wakefield, these guys poured into my life who tolerated me, who tolerated me um, so much and they love me and then I think of I think of Bill Wilburn, I think of Dale Campfield, I think of all these men who poured into me, Wes Parker, Mike Breen, Rob McGillover, you guys have met Mike and Rob, these people who poured into my life that showed me what it looked like to not just study the Bible, or not just to do evangelism, but what it meant to live a life worth imitating. Because really, the, the key question of discipleship is, would other people want my life? And that might sound arrogant, but would other people look at your life if you tore the, uh, you know, the, the clothes back, the covers back, and opened your chest up, if they looked inside your heart and your mind, would they say that's a life worth imitating? Because if I don't look like Jesus, why would they want the kingdom? If I'm preaching it, if I'm trying to live it, if I don't look anything what it looks like, well, like I, I think um, a lot of people, like Frederick Nietzsche even said, like he's, not, like, he's, like, he's not, not a Christian because of Jesus, it's because of Christians. That's a hard word. It's because I think most people, if they met Christ, they'd fall in love with him. But it's Christians that we can leave a bad taste in people's mouth at times. And I know um, when, like, I just remember years ago opening up, um, you know, in Titus chapter one, just the qualifications for an elder. And I'm like, dude, I'm pastoring it, and I don't meet many of these. It was time for a break. Like I had to get my life and my house in order because I can't give what I don't have. And if we don't have a life worth imitating, it's gonna be hard to give that to other people. But one of the best ways, like you might be like, that's me. Like I know I cuss a lot, drink a lot, lie a lot, you know, do a lot of things I shouldn't. Well, there's a ton of hope. Is just get with people that are maybe a little further along than you. There's no shame in it. There's way more shame in never trying than there is trying and being bad at it. Do you know that? There's way more shame in um, just sucking in a vacuum or never going for it than it is sucking forward, right? Like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna be bad at this, I'm gonna get good at it. And that's where, it's have a place where you can imitate, that's, that's what a house group is, is where you can start. Because when you're with people a lot, the facades come down when you start talking about real stuff like what's God saying to you, what are you gonna do about it, what's are happy, what's your crappy, what's in your life that's really hard is once that rubber starts meeting the road, that's where the change happens is that imitation. The imitation is really important to be a disciple because if you've never been a disciple, it's hard to make a disciple. And I think, um, you know, like Paul said, the what other people want my life? 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Paul's saying like, listen, I'm going for it. If you follow me, you'll see Jesus. He said, if you follow me, you'll see Jesus. It's really important to, um, and I'm not saying it to be perfect, but I'm saying like to go for it, but to be around people, that are more Christ-like if you want to become Christ-like. And the thing is, is we can all do this stuff. Do you know that, like, once you have, once you say yes to Jesus, you have everything you need for godliness. Do you know that? You have everything you need. Now, we, after salvation, we grow as we're sanctification. That's the process of becoming like Jesus. But we have everything we need. You have the same Holy Spirit that I've got. I've got the same Holy Spirit Barry's got. I've, you know, Barry's got the same Holy Spirit John, uh, uh, like Ken Golickson and John Wimber have, the founders of the feast here. Same Holy Spirit, but we learn from people that are ahead of us how to grow in that and let the Holy Spirit have more jurisdiction in our lives. That's what growing as a disciple is, is growing in Christ likeness and letting him have his way in more and more of our lives because how, how church is done in mass like in America, it's very compartmentalized. I can be one Christian online. I can be one Christian at work. I can be one Christian at home or in the neighborhood or on the softball team or whatever or at church. But discipleship is an integrated Christianity where it's I'm always the same person or as best I can that I'm living to be the same person. That's what the imitation leads me to as I'm imitating because it's, if you look at Jesus up here, and then, then the disciples, and then the church through the ages, and then Christians before us now, and then us, and then the people after us. The church keeps going, but it all points to Jesus as we want to imitate him. You can do this stuff. You can. This is not something that's too far for you. It's not something that's too hard for you. It is for us and of ourselves, Both the Spirit, it's not too hard for us. This is something God can pull off in our lives. I was reading in, uh, in the book of Judges, chapter two, this is not on the screen, I'm just gonna read it to you. And in the book of Judges, it's kind of after Moses and Joshua die, and Israel's kind of in this vacuum as they've now entered the promised land, but they keep running amok. They haven't driven out all their enemies, all the worldly influences. They haven't driven out all these other people because a lot of it is just because of their disobedience to their leaders and to God. And it says this. Whenever the Lord raised up judges, this is um, Judges chapter two, verse 18. If you have a Bible or a app, if you want to look, Judges two. It says, whenever the Lord raised up judges over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judges died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices in their stubborn ways. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. And he said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors, and have ignored all the commands I've given them, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. I did this to test Israel, to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord after after their ancestors, as their ancestors did. That is why the Lord left those nations in place. He did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them all. What I see here is what I think we see a lot of times in a lot of churches, a lot of families, a lot of ministries, like grandpa dies, the family, like the moorings go, go to pot, or a church falls or a senior leader, senior leader uh, leaves or retires and the church just falls away, or a movement like the key leader, uh, John Wesley, John Wimber, someone like that dies, and then the movement starts to fizzle out. And the reason that happens, honestly, and the reason it happened now and in Israel and families is because of a lack of discipleship. If there were disciples in place, see, from Moses to Joshua, it didn't happen because Moses discipled Joshua, and Joshua was able to take over where Moses left off and do some even greater things. But somehow, somewhere, Joshua, I believe, probably missed some of this. And then we got to that expanse. And then the judges where God heard, because here's the thing about sin and soulishness and brokenness. It will always leave us enslaved. It will always leave us enslaved. It'll always get us off target. It'll always cause us to miss the mark for our lives, the purpose we were born for and in the kingdom. So these people would always... They, they would keep going back, he said, and they would do worse than the generation before them. Why do you think when Jesus stepped out of heaven and came to earth, the thing he put the most emphasis on was discipleship? And why is it the very thing that the church in our culture refuses to do? And this stupefies me. Listen, I, I can't tell you what I was like before Jesus. And I'm not saying this like pat me on the back, like, no. I truly scourge of the earth sort of guy. It is only the grace of God by the gift of the spirit, by his word, and by mentors that I'm, that I'm leading this church. It is only God, Come on, Ryan. it is only God. Like no one would have picked me to be on their team or date their daughter, I was that guy, okay? I was the kid actually, there were several times in my life where I had friends like, hey, I can't play with you anymore. Seriously, that's the kind of guy that I was. I still remember. But it's because people poured into my life and they imitated Jesus for me and they let me imitate them intentionally. They had all kinds of good information and they could have just said, hey, here's the Bible, go do it. But it's like, no, they they looked me in the eye and said, man, you're being a punk of a husband. Or man, have you ever thought of this? Have you ever considered that or God is saying no to you about that? On, I mean, one of the first guys, the first guy who ever discipled me, uh, like still my life, BJ Parker. Like I remember one time early on like my marriage, he looked at me and said, if you go a step further with this, I will not walk with you ever again. He said, I haven't poured, poured my life into you for you to be this kind of guy. If this is a choice you're gonna make and you're gonna continue on this, I want you to know I'm out and I will never talk to you again. Unless you repent. That held weight with me because he invested in me. He didn't just give me a sermon, some guy that I had lunch with or met and shook a hand. No, he invested in me every Saturday morning for years. Every Tuesday morning for years. He invested in me. So when he says, I'm out if you do this, it had gravity in my life. He's like, I did not disciple you. To Im- That's not what I've called you to imitate. Because I'm not like that. The Bible's not like that. That's why discipleship matters. Because where a sermon may not stop you in your tracks, or a handshake may not stop you in your tracks, someone who's poured their life out to you and said, "Follow me as I follow Christ," it'll leave a vacuum in our lives if they pull out. And some people do it anyways, but I, I just chose not to. Because I saw not only the folly, but I also saw what it could do to my life. This stuff matters. This stuff matters. In the vacuum that was in Israel, Jesus came to do it differently than it had been done. That's why we make disciples. We don't just wanna preach, and we don't just want you to go do the stuff. We want to have a place of imitation where we can hear, and then we can obey, and learn how to obey and do life together with training wheels, and then we can go do it together. That's why discipleship matters. So if you're wondering why I talk about it so much, because I wouldn't be here without it. I wouldn't be. And the church would not be here without it either. And, And backing up even one, it's what Jesus commanded us to do and he modeled it. It was so important to him, it's what he gave his life for. Like when he said it's finished, he had in mind a discipling church that his glory filled the earth again and a return to Eden that it is finished. The curse of sin is over. We can reset in the kingdom now and not yet is among you because of what I'm doing. And you can go make disciples and make disciples and make disciples because that's what I taught you to do. That's who we are, church. That's who we are. And I want to challenge you if you're not on board yet. Or you're really having a hard time with maybe your house group, how it's different than a small group, or what that transition is like. I want to encourage you to trust the Lord. We, we've spent a lot of time, that's, that's what he's told us to do. So if he's told us to do it, it's always right and it's always humble to agree with Jesus. Those who humble themselves are exalted. So even if your mind can't figure this out, even if your experience doesn't leave band with me, you had a really bad small group experience, or a real bad accountability group experience. I encourage you to step outside your mind and just humble yourself in the side of the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna give this another run. Because these people seem to care about the way of Jesus too. Not just an impartation of information and then stuff to do, but they seem to care about the way of Jesus. Not just the word and the works. We care about the way. So we want discipleship to be done in a way that looks like Jesus. So if you're having a hard time leaning in, I encourage you to, to, to trust us and go for it. And I encourage you to, um, like we said, take your word by yourself. You will get way further than ever you could get from a few morsels from a sermon or even a house group discussion or a one-on-one or one-on-five discipleship if daily this is your baseline, that you're in the word, that you're connecting with the spirit and you're learning to let him talk to you throughout the day. You will get so much further with that than you ever would in just coming to church. So we were going to be a church that observes the great commission to make disciples, to go into all the nations, teaching them to obey everything he's commanded us. Disciples, obey. That word might bother some people. Obedience might bother you. Discipline might bother you. Disciple, discipline. You see those those words? There's similarities that there's disciplines we submit ourselves to in our lives the authority of God. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. We submit to him to discipline us and orient our lives around the kingdom. If you're rebellious in spirit, God can use you, he used me. But he will only use us like on his terms. There's gotta be a submission to the word of God, to the way of God, to the work of God. And so we're gonna pray because what uh, Margie said today really grabbed my heart that as we open that thing up and we look at it. Because if we just look at our experience, what's been or it ain't like it used to be in the good old days or this ain't like anything I've ever heard of or I don't like this obedience component, I don't like this, gotta change my life. I don't like that the church talks about giving. We talk about giving every week Not to bother anyone and not to beg, but it's like because God is generous, and that God who gave his life to us in this world we are like him, we give our lives back to him. We're not begging for we're not begging for bucks. We talk about this stuff because the life of of a disciple is one that's generous. Jesus told like the rich young ruler who said, Well, I've done everything, I've obeyed you and all this. He's like, Well, you haven't given me all you have. All we have includes our money. All we have includes our businesses. All we have includes our marriages. All we have includes our spare time, our hobbies. All we have includes our children. All we have includes our mistakes. Jesus is like, I want to sanctify every drop of it. I want every drop of it. Not because he needs it, but because he's the only one that can do with it what he made it for. And so when we open that thing up and we're having a hard time hanging on, do you look in there and see Jesus as your magnificent obsession and say, you give me purpose for hanging on. I'll obey you no matter what it costs. Because just like Peter, when they all went away, John chapter six, he's like, are y'all gonna leave now too? And Peter's like, where else are we gonna go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Is Jesus that to you? If Jesus is that to you, this discipleship stuff will be easy because you'll want all the information you can get about him. You'll want all the experiences you can get about him. And you'll imitate it because he's everything to you. And then we can go innovate and do new stuff and take on new frontiers because we're people that are walking in the spirit and we'll do the same but even greater. But we gotta imitate first before we try to innovate. I'm gonna ask the prayer teams to come up And if you're just saying saying today, like whatever you came for, if you need healing, if your marriage is a wreck, if your life's a wreck, if your heart's a wreck, or you're just like, I'm having a hard time, and you're like, Jesus isn't everything to me. I don't look in that, and and maybe I see other things. Maybe I see like a retirement account, or maybe I see a hobby, or maybe I see a person, or maybe I see all my shame when I look at that, and you don't have reason to go on that's as compelling as what, what we heard today in worship and as Margie shared. If you're like, that's me, just come up. Just come up. There's no shame in like, Lord, I want more of you. So Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you meet us? Will you come during this time and will you just do something profound, Lord? Would you give us lives worth imitating, Lord, because you're worth imitating? And we say like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Come with me as I'm going after it. And I'll die in the process and I might stink at it, but Lord, you're worth stinking at because I love you and I want to be with you no matter what it costs me or what it takes or how hard it is or how unknown it is. Maybe you, you're like, this is unknown. This is weird. This is foreign territory. I'm not used to doing church like this. Come get prayer if you're having a hard time. Would you come Holy Spirit today? Would you minister to us, minister to us and help us to grow up in the fullness of Christ as individuals, as families, and as a church? And would you help us make disciples that make disciples? Not just for the sake of it, Lord, but because you told us to, and that's always good enough to do what you did and to obey you. In this world, we are like you, Jesus, and we thank you for that. Help us to be a church that isn't glued to the world or glued to how we've always done things or like everyone else. Help us to just be a church that's like Jesus. Would you you bring ministry to us today, Holy Spirit? You come in your power. If you're someone, I don't know if you're like on the right side of your head more, if you got like a splitting headache thing today, or you just got some injury to your head, if that's you, um, Lord wants to, wants to bless you today. If there's someone with something on the, maybe like in their lat, that part of their like kind of rib cage, if there's someone t- today, if anyone's dealing with that, has anyone got that kind of injury? or issue if that's you I don't know I'm just taking a risk here if that's you the Lord wants to uh, touch you today specifically I don't know if someone's got like a big toe like plantar fasciitis kind of the top and down the side Uh, come get prayer today if that's you Someone's got like a kind of a tickle on the top of their throat. I don't know if it's something like even going up into your nose. Lately, the Lord wants to minister to you today. So just come up. If I'm saying stuff, just come up and get prayer. Don't, don't wait. Don't have to wait on me. Just start coming up. If, that's, if any of this is speaking to anyone, and I could be missing completely, but I feel like the Lord wants to heal some people today. so. You're having a hard time thinking about this stuff or conceptualizing this information. The Lord wants to minister to you today. Come, Jesus. You meet us. Upper part of the neck, kind of behind the ear, if that's you, if you have an injury there or an issue, the Lord wants to minister to you today. You got an issue, maybe like, uh, like your Achilles slash calf area? I feel like the Lord wants to touch someone there. That's you. I feel like it's maybe like a lingering thing. If that's you, if you kind of keep pulling that, having an issue. Come, Jesus. Anyone else got a sense that you'd just stand up and say, I got a sense that someone has this? Anyone got a word for that? You got a sense if someone needs healing for? Luke five seventeen. the power of the Lord was present to perform healing. Anyone got a, got a word? Take that. Everyone gets to play around here. It's not just the snow show, yo. Yeah, Barry. Anyone want to begin the process of discipleship today and just kind of want to take the risk? That's you. Barry would love to pray with you. Come see Barry in France. He's pretty cool. He's he's the father here, so the founder of the feast. So if you want to. Them get blessed they'd love to pray for you if you're like just wanting to start the discipleship journey and you have some reservations anyone got anyone got a lip issue too maybe like something like around I don't know if you got an issue something in your lip your mouth I don't know kind of got a sense of that if you gotta go get kids go get kids we're just praying do what you gotta do we just want leave space for the ministry of the spirit today And if you get healed of one of these words when we do house group testimonies or just testimonies next week, don't be silent because we want to celebrate what the Lord's doing. Yeah, great. Yeah, come Lord. Does anyone have a crush, has had a crush or an issue of a vertebrae right around here? an issue, I think it's from a, I don't know if it's from a car wreck, someone just had an issue for a long time I'm even seeing like, it's weird I saw the year 1974 I don't know if someone's got something that goes back 1974 I saw an old issue someone's got, if that's you just going for it someone's got an old injury from then doesn't have to be a back thing, but if you got it a 1974, come on down all right, we're just gonna kind of keep ministering. And if you want prayer, people around you would love to pray with you, and I would too. So we love you, bless you, go and send less this week. And we just thank you, bless you, church.